right. Good morning, church. That's kind of pitiful. I think you can do better than that. I know you're uh, a little nervous this morning, and I just want to want to tell you that um, we can't act up like we usually do. Of course, Pastor's still watching. He's here overseeing us this morning, and so I help me not to mess up and um, get a bad grade in this class. Okay, you'll help me this morning. Well, it's good to see you this morning. They say it's good to be seen, not viewed. And I'm glad to see you this morning. Appreciate Pastor giving me another opportunity to be able to preach His Word, uh, God's Word. So, if you would uh, just turn over into the uh, Jude, let's look over Jude this morning, if we can. Small little small book, but it's man, it's got some powerful, powerful message there, especially what we're going to deal with a little bit today. Uh, but a uh, little book of Jude, and uh, or letter rather, uh, is a wonderful text. For us to, I guess, I got this idea back when uh, Pastor was preaching on all the things that's going on in the world, and and we have to keep our focus. How to live the Christian life in the midst of all that's going on, all the chaos, all the corruption, all the you know distractions and disruptions, and all those things. And I guess most of the scripture, that's what they're dealing with, trying to carry out uh, the task, the word that God has given us as the church and trying to do that in the midst of adversity, in the midst of struggles and troubles. You know, I don't know about you, but uh, every day is not wonderful. Oh, I know we say happy, and when you ask somebody, how are you doing? What do they usually say? Fine, good. They may not be. Because they're like everybody else, they're facing adversity, they're facing challenges, they're facing distractions in life. Well, I want us to look over this morning at Jude, and, and we're going to pick out some things this morning, and I hope you'll be encouraged by it. I hope you'll be challenged by it this morning, and as I always hope that you leave this place different than when you came in. I pray if you're online this morning, you have that same result, you see something from, from God's Word that would just spark that fire, or you know, rekindle the fire sometimes. So let's look at Jude this morning if we can. I'm going to hit a couple of verses, and then I think they've got the verses 20 and 23 up there, but I want us to just understand who Jude is a little bit and looking for something here. Jude says, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, which we assume that it's Jude is a half-brother of Jesus. But here he is, he's, he's identifying himself and when it says bondservant, that's basically offering himself up as a slave for no, asking nothing in return. Think about that. When we serve God, what do we usually want at the end of it? I know it's great to get encouragement, but somehow we feel like if we do something for God or do something for God's children, that we need to get something in return. There should be a, a, a thank you or something offered. And do you get mad and upset and quit if you don't get that? But Jude wants us to understand, listen, I'm a bondservant, and I'm going to serve Jesus. I don't care if I don't get a thing. He's asking for nothing in return. Look who he's talking to. To those who are called. I want you to focus on that word a little bit this morning. For those who are called. Now, he's talking about the saved. Then he says something else. The saved and the, what does he say? Sanctified. Those that are set apart. 
If you belong to Jesus, we talked about that a little bit last week. If you belong to Jesus, then you are supposedly to live your life set apart from the world, looking different, acting different. So he's speaking to the saved and those that are set apart. And then he finishes up here. He says, uh, sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ. So saved, sanctified, and secure. If that's you this morning, listen up. If that's not you this morning, when we finish this time, pastor will be down front. You come down and say, listen, I want that. I want to be saved, sanctified, and secured from here to eternity. That's what you want. That's, that's the desire. And that's who Jude is talking to. And he even mentions, I'd rather just have a happy letter. But it seems like every letter we have or every example just about we have in Scripture, it may start out and say, listen, I want to thank you and I want to encourage you and I want to praise you, but there's something else going on. Let's look at verses 20 through 23 this morning. That's where we'll focus. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keeping yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And on some have compassion, making a distinction, but with others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, having even the garment defiled by the flesh. As I mentioned, most of the New Testament especially is written because of upheavals in the church. There was disruptions, there was distractions, and in the face of false teachings, grumblers, complainers, that sounds like a Sunday morning, doesn't it? See, things have not changed. They've changed, but they've not changed. The church seems to be the same. I've said this many times. I don't even like to be around me all the time. It's just sometimes there's no way out. We understand we have that at times. We understand we have disruptions and struggles and especially adversity in our life. And, and Jude is saying, listen, in spite of all that, there's some things that we have to focus on. One, when it's all said and done, when it's all said and done, we have an upward call. We think we have to, this is, the, this is all there is. I've got to be a parent, I've got to be a husband, I've got to be a wife. I've got to be a boss, I've got to be an employee, I've got to do this, I've got to do that. And we have all those, and we lose sight of the upward call. Folks, I know you've heard this a million times. Make this a million one. You're not going to stay here. This is a temporary home. Paul even referred to it in such a way as a tent. A tent's okay for a couple of days, but after a while, you're ready to get something more substantial. Well, guess what? That's coming. But Jude wanted uh, them to understand amidst all that was going on with them that they had an upward call. And then in those few verses, he kind of gives the directive for that upward call. One is, he said, Jude said, to continue building yourselves up. In other words, don't get frustrated by the, by the uh, tactics of Satan and even those that call themselves Christians. The biggest thing I think we need to deal with as we're building ourselves up and he says here, in the most holy faith, you know what that is? Keep our eyes on Jesus. We get so focused on everybody else. I, how many remembers mules? 
Go ahead. I know some of you raise your hands. But what they used to put on mules to get them to cut the trace, I mean, the plow straight, because they were easily distracted. So they'd put blinders on the side so that they could keep their focus. Wouldn't it be great if we could come in on Sunday morning, Pastor Bob, just pass out blinders for everybody? So y'all wear these this week. Number one, it'd be cute. But I tell you what, I think the what it stands for would mean a lot more. That we are to keep our focus. We're to keep ourselves being built up. I want to tell you, if you don't ever put anything out there to put in, what we always say to youth years ago, fellas, garbage in, garbage out. And we expect not to put anything in, but we expect a lot to come out. But you've got to put yourself in that place to do that. Now, as he said here, he says, don't let, when you're, when you're being built up, don't let it interfere with your fellowship with the Lord. What's usually the first thing when adversity comes your way? Our relationship with the Lord suffers. Our relationship with others suffers. Our relationship with our family suffers. Our relationship with reading God's word, our relationship in prayer, it all suffers because we get distracted, adversity, uh, disruptions. And he's not talking about all the things out in the world. We can look out in the world and say, boy, it's a mess out there. But I want to give you something that you already know. A lot of the mess out there is a mess in here too. Y'all hear what I said? A lot of the upheaval, we think we can come in here and we are shielded because we call this place a sanctuary. You know what a sanctuary is, don't you? A place for ducks. But we come in here and we assume that we're, gonna, we're in the sanctuary. We're, we're uh, not touched by the world. But guess what? We are human. But he says, all the things that's going on don't let it distract you from growing in God's grace, growing in God's mercy, growing closer together with other believers in Christ. He says, keep on building up. But he also says something else right here. Praying in the Holy Spirit. He said, keep on praying up. I've often said I, for myself, over the years, I could tell truly how concerned I was about something, one way you usually showed me how concerned I was about it, how much I prayed for it. See, I, sometimes, well, yeah, we say we're going to pray for it, or this is going on, or that's going on, but I can see in my own life that when I don't spend time in prayer, it must not be that important to me. He said, keep on letting the Holy Spirit guide you as you pray. Keep praying. Don't let all the things that's going on in the world distract you. Don't let the things that's going on inside the walls of the church distract you from building yourself up, presenting yourself. Pastor Bob can teach you. There's other people that can help. And we all try to encourage one another. We grow in Christ. And, and that's keep on building ourselves up. But don't let your prayer life suffer as a result of all the things. Here's what we always say. Well, what's the use? What's the use? But you said it's important. He's trying to get them, hey, you're distracted over here. Get back, get back to get your focus. Building yourself up. 
praying. Don't let that be a sacrifice to you. Trials that come on every day, you keep in prayer. Look at something else he says. Keep yourselves in the love of God. He says, keep on keeping up. I like that. Just keep on keeping up. Christians are to keep themselves in God's love, the realm of God's love. How do you find yourself in the realm of God's love? Communion. I'm not talking about when we had the juice and the bread. I'm talking about that, that interlocking communion. I and the Father are one, as Jesus said. We ought to be in tune with Jesus. We ought to be in tune with other believers. Don't let all the things that's going on inside and outside the church distract you from keeping yourselves in the love of God. It's so easy to lose that love. I mean, he even talks about the book of the Revelation, the first love. You've forgotten your first love. I think sometimes the church forgets its first love. And we don't keep ourselves keeping on in the love of Christ. Why do we do what we do? The love of Christ. So you're not, if you're expecting a reward here, that's not going to come. You may get some and accolades and all those things, but just, here's a, here's a good example. Remember when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey? Remember that story? Some young people shake your head. You remember that story too, right? He rode in there and they had palm branches and they were waving. Hosanna, they were just singing his praises. Well, guess what? Only a donkey would think it's for him. Y'all catch that by one o'clock. See, the praise was for Jesus. So don't get caught up. The donkey could have said, hey, there, I'm, not, I'm the one carrying him. I should get that praise. Look what I'm doing. I'm not getting anything out of it. I want to tell you, if you're sold out to Jesus, if you're a bondservant of Jesus, truly. See, this will separate here. Make sure that you are truly sold out to Jesus. That vow that you made because of his mercy and grace is real. He says, keep on keeping up yourselves in the love of Jesus. And then he, John 15, 10 says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I abide in the love of my Father. So how do we know if we love Jesus? It's identifiable now. We can't say, well, he does this or don't do that and we can't tell if he is or if he's not. Now, I know we can't go look at people's hearts, see if they're truly saved or not. That's between them and God. But he does tell you there's some things that will show if they're truly saved. Here's the mark. They will seek to keep his commandments. That's what a believer does. That's what we as a church should do. We desire to keep. Can you do it all the time? So it, it seems like it would be uh, a waste of time. I'm just not going to keep it. But we are called to strive toward it. The Holy Spirit guiding us. And here's one thing that my dad taught me years ago. I've shared it since, I don't know how many years ago it's been since he told me this. He says, son, being good is not being able to do it right the first time all the time. It's being able to fix it when you've messed it up. Well, that's a good word for a believer. See, we're going to mess up, but he says fix it. The Bible said we had to have a what? An adversary. 
And we also have an advocate. Keep on keeping up. He says also, keep on looking up. Here's, here's, it's starting to get good here. Hope you're with me this morning. Keep on looking up. Folks, we need to see the big picture. We always see the snapshots. We don't focus on what the big picture is. What is the big picture? Think about it a minute. What is he talking about in the big picture here when he's talking about looking for the mercy? You know what that is? Undeserved of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. I want to tell you, here's the big picture. One glorious daybreak. Jesus is going to split those eastern skies. And this old world, in the way we know it now, it's a thing of the past. All the glitz and glamour and things we think we're going to get in this life and enjoy in this life, I want to tell you, it's going to fade away. It's going to go away. He said, in the midst of all these things, because I'm sure, I had a pastor tell me one time, uh, I was looking for some advice, uh, Dr. Harold Hudson out of uh, Jacksonville, Florida, and he'd been in ministry for years, and, and uh, a couple of things that he taught me, uh, one was, uh, how do you know when you really are the pastor of the church? I can't remember what he said. Really, I don't remember what he said, but I do remember this. I said, it must be easier when they accept you, year, two years, three years, as the pastor. It, take, it takes a little while, but, but they begin to accept you as the pastor. He said, but that's when it gets really serious and the hardest. Well, it looks like it'd be easier because the people are willing to follow. He said, no, then you can lead them off a cliff. What a serious word. Keep on looking up. Keeping your eyes firmly on Jesus. And we forget that. I forget that so often. We get so entangled in all the things of the world. I went to Walmart and they were out of what I needed. And my world's coming to an end. Phyllis uh, will testify to this. The cable's gone out. My whole world just passed before my eyes. I can see it. I can just see it. I had something I needed to see that day, and it was going to change my life, just radically change my life. And this happened, and guess what? I lost it. What am I going to do? Now, I know we're making jokes about those things, but you see what I'm talking about? We get so tied into the little snapshots of things of life we need to be looking at the big picture. We need to keep our eyes on Jesus. We need to keep looking up. That's the reason I've always said I don't have to go to church. Now, it's kind of forced on us, you know, as pastors. We, you know, Kim says, you need to go to church. So why? Well, you're. Everything that we have on is a church. Nothing. 
we ought to keep on lifting up and be burdened because we have something else. One is that we can look at the analogy. On some have a pattern. Satan is literally penetrating past his passions and mercies on those that find themselves And he says, you've got to go with haste. You need to go. You need to do your very best 
to try to present the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I know we say that we need to, we need to reach people, but especially those that have already been to church. Because it's so easy then for them to get distracted, confused, and all those things. But he said, he gives this illustration, as if reaching down and pulling them up from the fires of hell. That's what it's all about. That's the adversity that they were facing. Jude was writing to. He said, you, here's, the, here's the key. I gave you nice little words. Pulling, lifting, helping. It helps me to remember it a little bit. Those are nice little words to help us. But Jude was concerned so much of what was going on within that church. And with churches, we're still reading it today. And the same happenings are happening now. And he said, but you can't leave the main thing. How many has ever faced adversity? <laughs> Three? Three of us? You say, I raised both hands. What do you do? Have, have you quit? Have you given up yet? I mean, that's what the devil wants us to do. He wants us to quit. He wants us to give up. He don't want us to continue on doing the work in which he is called. It's not we're playing church. We're out trying to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's our call. And it's an upward call. It's not a sideways or this ways. Or, listen, I had a member so one time said, so we need to come up with a committee to reach out to folks to get them to come into church I said we have that it's called outreach no we need to get a committee to do it missed the whole point as we are going share the gospel of Jesus Christ and the, the theme of all this is to keep on keeping on regardless of what is in your way I always said the worst time worst time to recruit vacation Bible school workers is right after vacation Bible school. <laughs> You're not going to get many takers. Yeah, I mean, really, you, you, that's the reason we do it way early and you're already committed. And I'm sure uh, Miss Dean has already had you to sign in blood. Did y'all do that? But you're going to be there. You're going to do it. Hey, you're committed to it now. You made a vow to God that you would do that. Why do, we, why do we do that? Because it's not easy. Because disruptions, distractions, disagreements, we can put all those words in there. And we stop. No, I did it last year. I'm not ever do it, never doing it again. You wouldn't believe those kids I had. I know it wasn't any of your kids. It was the visitor's kids. I mean, they were, they were tough to deal with. I, I just, I can't do it. Or I can't do this, or I can't do that. And here's the main reason, here's the main thought. It's because of adversity. Man, if, if everybody quit because of adversity, go back and read somewhere. Go, you've got Google. Some of you probably using it right now. They look at, they look at uh, uh, all the things in Scripture that, that point to adversity and all the ones that had to face adversity in single level Look what they did. How, how am I to have a chance? How am I to have a chance against this? Well, there's only one answer. It's the answer that solves everything. Jesus. may not take you around the storm. may take you through the storm. But if we, as a body of believers, don't get busy, people's 
people's lives are at stake. I forget that. I'll tell you a story quickly. A lady, she was born uh, third out of five kids. When uh, she was, uh, I think, about eight, maybe nine, her mother had the fifth child. Fifth child was born into the house, about a month old. She started dealing with terrible depression. This was back during the, I guess, the early 50s, late 40s, early 50s. And she started dealing with um, what they didn't know then or didn't recognize then, and they later did, was postpartum depression. So she just had her fifth child, and she was struggling with it. And, hey, they could fix that. She was easily diagnosed that she had postpartum depression, and there was only one thing for them to do was put her in somewhere where they could help her, and the process at that time was electric shock therapy. Man, how far we've come since then. So they took her to a mental facility, started electric shock therapy on her, but somewhere in that process of the next three or four weeks in doing that electric shock therapy, something went terribly wrong. They said it was just you know, it must have been in her or something, but she never recovered. We basically said she changed and altered her brain. She recognized her family, but she didn't have any attachment to them. Say, hey, call them by name, but she didn't recognize her kids. She didn't recognize her husband. She didn't recognize anybody. She called them by name, but she didn't know who they were in a relationship, really. And the rest of that story is she spent the next 36 years in that same mental facility. She went up there for a week and never came home. Well, that dad had three children. An older one, about 16. The second one, I think, was about 10. The third one that I'm mainly focusing on is, is, was nine. Then one that was seven. And then, of course, the newborn. Well, he was doing the very best he could in all the things that went on in life. He was working two or three jobs. And he found out, listen, something's got to be done. He had an aunt that took the small child in, the baby in, but he had those other kids staying at the house, and he knew that couldn't continue, so he was forced in to taking the kids somewhere. There was no family that could help. The oldest one got to stay home. The next three in line, 10, 9, and 7, they were put into Kenston Baptist Children's Home for a year. Really not a whole lot of explanation. That young didn't understand. But they were put there for a little over a year. A little over a year, I'm going to leave a few of the things out, but after a, about a year, the father showed back up. He had had to divorce his wife that he loved tremendously in the mental facility, and he remarried so he would have someone that could help him bring the kids home. So they got married the same day they got married. They went and brought those three children home. That next one grew up like the others on the farm and, it, was, it had a great childhood from there at it, seemed to be. And then she met a gentleman, and they were married, and the marriage lasted about 12 years, and it was not really good. And, and uh, all that went on with that, so that lady had found herself with two boys raising by herself. Adversity. We got single parents out here. It's not easy. It's really not. Regardless of the circumstances that brought it on, it's not easy. But she found herself, after 12 years of marriage, that she was by herself to raise her two sons. Five years later, she met a great man, remarried, wonderful, excited. 
Those two boys were growing into adulthood. The lady and her new husband enjoying one another's company. It looked like everything was wonderful. The two older ones had moved out of the house and they had had a child by themselves. And uh, I think she was about nine years old. And then one day he was taken to the hospital and they said, we need to transfer him to another hospital. And before the ambulance could leave the site of the hospital, he had died of congestive heart failure. I want to tell you, that lady questioned God. Many times, what adversity. Hey, I'm trying to do the very best that I can. She said it over and over. I'm trying to raise these boys. I'm trying to provide provide for him. I'm trying to do everything and it's one thing seems like after the other. She said these words it looks like I'm destined to raise my children by myself. So she raised that daughter. Sometime about four or five years later she met a gentleman. They become really good friends, never married. It was talked about And then he developed cancer and died. A few years later, just a couple years later, her health had failed so much that she had to go into an assisted living facility at 56 years of age. Later that next year, she fell, broke her hip, ended up in a rest home where she spent the rest of her life. Three days a week, she went out for dialysis. That's a tough life in itself. One day in three years and at the age of 59, she had a stroke on the, in the chair where they were doing dialysis, and she never recovered. They took her back to the hospital, but it was only a couple of days before her life had left from here at 59 years of age. Now, I know we've all got our stories. And I know we all struggle with adversity. But what it tells of a man and a true woman is that you keep on keeping on. That was kind of a a saying that this lady had. That's where I got it from and heard it for years is to keep on keeping on. You can't give up. You can't quit. Here's why. The work you're doing is too important. So, she saw her family as being so important. She was willing to do whatever it took. Two, three jobs. Raising two boys by herself. Raising a daughter by herself. Having two marriages. One ended in divorce and the other one ended in death. And that's just part. Just just part. That lady, that's just part of my mother's life. But she always said, but son... You've got to keep on keeping on. No matter what comes your way, the work is too important. I want to tell you, everything that she was doing, that lady did when, since she was born eight, nine years of age, taking care of a household before she had to go away with other kids, she, she kept saying, the work is too important. I can't quit. I can't, I can't not do it. And if that work, which all that she did, is going to pass away, all that she did, all the work that she might have done, all the extra work, guess what? This old boy's still going to die. That's the rapture. My brother at 43, he passed away. 
And I praise the Lord, honestly, that she was not alive to see it. The work is too important for you to quit. Parents, your work is too important for you to give up and quit. You'd like to quit your job. You'd like to do this. You'd like to do that. But you've got responsibilities and you keep on keeping on. Well, if that work is important to your children, to your family, to your community, if all that work is, is so important, how much more important is it to be able to do the work in which God has called us to do? That upward call, we're passing through. We need to focus on the upward call. And the church cannot get distracted by what's going on outside and especially on the inside. You keep on moving. Regardless of who falls beside of you, it could be, boy, that person you looked up to, your best friend or whatever. But the tale's going to be told when you can love them in Jesus, but you're going to keep on keeping on. I'm going to keep on sharing the gospel. I'm going to keep on trying to live for Christ. I may fall today, I may falter today, but I'm going to get back up and I'm going to keep on keeping on. Now that church will reach people. That church I want to be a part of. And pastor, that's the reason I'm here. 